There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped at 10th and Grant's microphone. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, NYPD retired homicide sergeant Bill Cannon, and we've been covering this case of Debbie Collier. And, you know, I think that it's being made actually more complicated than need be. I think that um, the Habersham police, they they have a, a good handle on this. They're going to make an arrest in this. I would almost guarantee that, but they got to calm down. They really got to calm down because, A, if I can critique this a little bit, they're giving too much information out. You know, the information they're giving to the press, yes, that satisfies everyone. It makes everyone happy that they're being apprised of what's happening happening in regards to this investigation. However, the perpetrator or tours are out there, and they're listening also, you know, and you're giving them information. So that when they are brought in and finally arrested, what are you going to challenge them with if if you're releasing everything? Specifically, you know, the crime scene. I don't think they needed to know that she was clutching a tree or that she was naked. I don't think they needed to know. I mean, that makes the story more interesting for for the media. But I don't think the perpetrators, you know, what are you going to challenge them with when you bring them in there? And that's important. The interview and the interrogation when you finally do name a suspect and go out and arrest them, it's important that you have something that you held back evidentiary-wise that you can challenge them with, or else they're gonna, you know, they're gonna eat your lunch in the interrogation room. And the other thing is, is look, a lot of the evidence hasn't come back yet. That's not good. You know, some of the cell phone evidence should have been back much faster than it's it's three weeks already. That's that's you know. That's holding you back. You can't compare the cell phone data from um, the daughter Amanda, her cell phone, her boyfriend's cell phone, the, the incoming and the outgoing calls. You need that information. Debbie's cell phone, I know you have it, but do you have the call detailing? You know, where no one knows right now uh, who sent that Venmo message. They don't know, you know, who sent it. It would seem that that was, you know, something that was contrived there. It does. It seems almost like a staged message to throw off the investigation. But that should be able to be proved or disproved through having the information back. But yet you don't have that back yet. Um, and of course, you, everyone. You, there was a memo yesterday put out by the Haberstrom uh, uh, Police Department, and I'm going to read part of it. Um, The autopsy report and findings and the results of numerous items submitted to the crime lab for analysis are still pending. We we thought that yesterday we were going to have the cause of death, uh, and that would have been forthcoming from the autopsy report. That was not released yesterday. Do the police know the cause of death? I think they must because they ruled this a homicide. And, you know, usually the medical examiner is the entity that rules this a homicide. You know, I, I spoke yesterday on, um, it can be, there's four, four ways um, of death, uh, and that is homicide, suicide, accidental, or natural. And right away, um, they ruled that this was, um, the police did, they ruled it was a homicide. And they also said something that I found a little bit strange. They said death was personal, and targeted. And I spoke yesterday about the fact that one of the most important things in homicide investigation is victimology. Let's look in and dig deep into the background of the victim. What caused Debbie Collier to become the victim of a murder? Is the answer in something in her life? Is there someone or some people in her life that should be uh, looked into heavily. And I believe they should be. 
and I'm not going to say who I think. Um, the sheriff's office has begun to receive information from the initial series of subpoenas and search warrants. So the evidence is starting to come back, but it's taken three weeks. As this information is received, investigators with the assistant assistance of other law enforcement and civilian support personnel are deciphering the responses and attempt to identify a possible motive and persons of interest. You don't need the damn motive. You really don't need the motive. What you need is a suspect. And you need evidence that can give you probable cause to arrest a suspect. The motive is going to turn up once you have the probable cause, once you have the evidence, once you lock somebody up. You're going to find out what the motive is. But looking for motive right now, that's not the most important thing. Uh, additionally, the sheriff's office continues to prepare and execute additional search warrants for various social media communication and location service providers. Some of the things that they told us yesterday, which was new information, investigators did obtain footage that shows the victim, Deborah Collier or Debbie Collier, entering that uh, that store on September 10th at 2.55 p.m. and remaining there until 3.09 p.m. In the video, the victim appears to be calm and not in fear of anything. I don't know why they would put that in a press release. What function is that serving that's something that the investigators again should keep to themselves and let people that watch that video come to that conclusion themselves why is that in a press release i just i just i just don't know again i think the uh, habersham county police they're putting too much information out there hold some stuff back you know um all video footage obtained from the store and surrounding businesses reflect that the victim was alone in the van at the time she visited the store. That's important because did she send that Venmo or was, was someone else in her van or in that area in another vehicle with her phone and sent that Venmo? Because look, one of the things, of course, the police are going to do, they're going to do cell site information and did, did someone else, but the police also, Later on, they will say that they recovered Debbie's cell phone at the crime scene. So that sort of blows that up right there. Um, a review of the store receipt and the video footage from the store security cameras, investigators confirmed that they were further able to determine that the victim purchased a rain poncho, a refillable torch lighter, a two-roll pack of paper towels, and a five-by-nine uh, 0.5 OBD tarp and a reusable tote bag. What were these items for? It seems like, you know, she was dressed in attire to go to possibly a football game, a tailgate. She was wearing a, a football jersey with a number on it. Uh, she's supposedly a big fan of the Georgia Bulldogs. All of those items seem like potentially she was going to a football tailgate party. However, this store that she went to is like 60 miles from her home. And there are other stores closer to her of, of the same genre, you know, the same type of stores. Uh, so wh why did she drive all the way up there? And what made her drive to that wooded area? Those are, those are questions that the investigators need to answer. And more investigation needs to be done to find out the route she took, potentially was she caught on any other video cameras uh, when she was driving? And that's all important because was there anyone following her? Was there anyone around her, that van, that rental van? Was there anyone around her as she took that route to that wooded area that was 15 miles from this convenience store? So all these are questions that the physical evidence the cell phone evidence, video evidence can answer, but they don't seem to have, uh, they don't seem to have this information back yet. And that's, uh, you know, and some folks have, on the chat have suggested that's her daughter in this picture that I have on the screen to her right. They don't look anything alike. Someone was um, saying that, oh, could her daughter have dressed up like her uh, and gone into that, uh, that convenience store? purchase those items what do you think look at how she looks you don't think she would they would be able to tell the difference between her mother and her i think they would and she's a lot the daughter 
Amanda is a lot heavier than the mom. So I, I, I you know, just I want to clear that up because, you know, there's a lot of always a lot of conspiracy theorists here that uh, that make these things up. That's her husband. Um, you know, the the nine one one calls. Uh, some other channels went over to them over those in depth, and I I didn't do that. But they there's some conflicts in the nine one one calls. Some discrepancies, I should say. Uh, Girl Friday, no, they look nothing alike. So someone's saying, oh, she could have dressed up as her mother. I don't think so. She's a lot heavier uh, than her mother. Um, Popu Kai, my mom cared for, sorry, you just went by there. My mom cared for troubled teens. They sold my sewing machine, 50-gallon fish tank. They steal anything for anybody to for drug money. You know, you know. Um, one of the things I, I want to just hold off on is that we want to find suspects or suspects before we start establishing motive. But when you look into um, the background of, of Debbie, uh, of, of Debbie Collier, what screams at you, what screams to the police is her daughter, Amanda, who has some serious issues. She has drug issues. And I had spoken yesterday that they need to get Amanda's cell phone. They need to get all the call detailing, text messages, cell site information. I know all of this stuff takes time, and it's an investigative uh, talent for whoever goes through all that stuff to make the comparisons. Also, her boyfriend, Andrew uh, Andrew Gigerich, he's had some issues too, and they've had some domestic violence between each other. I think you know they, the police have already served a warrant on on their house. I think they scream, they scream to the police as the number one and two suspects. However, you can't just arrest someone because you think they did it. You have to come up with the evidence, and that's where we're at right now. The uh, the police are really waiting. They're waiting. I mean, we don't know. Three weeks after this, we don't know the cause of death. From the autopsy. Do the police? I think they probably do because they're announcing that this is a homicide. This is a murder, right? And guys, just for the definition of homicide is death caused by another. Therefore, they said this is no suicide, right? Nothing self-inflicted here. Uh, this is no kidnapping. And they the, the language they used was that, that this death was personal and targeted. So using that language, do you think they have someone in mind as a suspect, but they just haven't named them yet? I think that's pretty strong language. This is personal and targeted, and it's a homicide. And they've ruled out kidnapping. But yet that the, uh, the message with the Venmo, they won't let me leave. And then she tells her where the key to the house is. I think that's really, that, that's sort of almost saying we have a suspect. Well, we know we have a person of interest, but they haven't named it yet. Again, I think the police need to shut their mouth a little bit because you're putting this out there, but yet you're not, you know, if you're going to talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. So if you're going to make those claims that this is a homicide and this was a, uh, personal and targeted. But, you know, when you think of it, look at it. She drove 60 miles from her house to go to a store to buy some items that were available right near her house, five minutes, 10 minutes from her house. Is that targeted? Yes. Some was, did she drive up there of her own volition or was someone directing her to drive up there? You don't just drive 60 miles from your house uh, sleepwalking or, you know, or not being direct. She drove up there uh, for a specific reason. Robin Bond, you know something? I said this earlier on that um, I think they should have enlisted the help of the FBI or the GBI. Just because if they would have enlisted those two law enforcement entities, I think the evidence would have come back sooner. And I know that they want, they say they're trained in homicide investigation, they're trained in these 
complex investigations, and they want to work this themselves. And I understand that. But you know something? There's no shame in asking for help. I don't know how many uh, murder cases that the Habersham County Police work every year. I, I don't think it's a lot. It's probably not very many. So you only get good at a homicide investigation by doing it a lot, all right? Uh, and you get sharper at it, and you understand the methodology. And, and you know, you have that. I spoke about it yesterday. Phil calls it spitballing when a bunch of detectives sit around on a case and they say the what ifs. Well, what if this? What if that? I used to call it uh, hypothesizing and theorizing. And we would come up with uh, a direction of the investigation. Um, where is this? Where is the direction of this investigation going? It's difficult to tell right now, although I think they're going to make an arrest. I really sincerely do think they're going to make an arrest. However, you know, the evidence is taking a long time to come back. And it's the most important evidence here is the cell phone evidence. And did they grab the daughter, Amanda? Did they grab her computer? Did they grab her boyfriend's computer? I understand they have their cell phones. Uh, now you have to take the evidence off those cell phones and analyze it, and especially those cell sites. Uh, Suzanne Sanders, why would you be terrified? This was not random. You have no reason to be terrified. Use common sense. Look, Debbie was directed up to that area by someone or multiple people. She knew where she put what she was at ease. You know, I know that uh, I just sort of criticized the Habersham police for in their press release for um, saying, look, she was calm. She was this, she was that. I don't think that that's something, you know, you could show the public and let them decide that. I don't think you have to state that because, you know, something down the road when this case goes to court, a defense attorney can seize upon that and uh, use your words against you. And all of this stuff, the press release, all of the stuff released to the public is what's known as Rosario material. It's discovery. Folks that don't know about the legal part of it, everything that the prosecution has, they have to release to the defense. So this surely was put out in the public domain, this press release. The defense, when there finally is an arrest made in this case, the defense will get all of that. So you have to be aware of that. I'm going to play a little bit again of yesterday's press conference because it told us some things that we didn't know, but there's still many questions we all have. And I just, again, I'm going to show you a bit of this. Um, I mean, I like it because it, it does up, you know, it does uh, update you on what's going on in the investigation. Good morning. On behalf of Sheriff Joey Terrell, I want to welcome you. Uh, to begin with, I'd like to give you a brief synopsis of where we are to date on the investigation. Uh, the results of the autopsy are still pending. The results regarding the analysis of the items we've submitted to the crime lab are still pending. We are now just beginning to get responses to the search warrants and the subpoenas in the case to date. We can tell you that we have received additional footage from a security camera from a business near the family dollar store. That additional footage shows us that Deborah Collier walked out of the family dollar store at 309, got into her van and remained in her van in the parking lot for 10 minutes before leaving the parking lot and heading south on Georgia 15, Highway 441, US 23. This tells us that the time frame is actually narrowed a little further to for the this case to begin at 3:19 p.m. on Saturday, September 10th, and ending at 12:44 Sunday, September 11th, the time of the discovery. Please understand that this case is very complex in nature and has a lot of questions and unknowns that aren't found in a typical death investigation. It is going to take significantly more time than the 19 days that have passed since the discovery to solve this crime. 
You know, folks, I would disagree with the fact that this case is any more difficult than, I mean, maybe there is a lot of twists and turns. There's a lot of scientific evidence to be processed. The cell phone data is the key, is the key to this case. Also, how about the rental van? If, you know, we went through um, the Kylie Rodney case and we're talking about the black box in the vehicle. Does this vehicle also have a black box? It had the Sirius radio, which allowed it to be found via GPS. That's how they found that. So might it also have um, built in GPS in the car that will tell us where she, the route that she drove? Might it also tell us, um, you know, the times uh, that she was driving and, and where she was driving? And how, so based on that, if you can get that information, you know, can also do a canvas and look for cameras that are on the road. I don't know if they have license plate readers up in that part of Georgia, but many municipalities, many towns, many cities have these license plate readers that can spot cars. What if a car was following her to that area? Uh, there could have been someone inside her van. We don't know that. They, I think the um, Habersham police tried to shut the door on that. But I don't know, what if someone was laying in the back of the van? We don't know. We don't specifically know that. But if we can find out the route she took, was there anyone following her, other vehicles around her? That can be, uh, that can be quite important. We uh, also want you to know that we are working diligently to solve this case. We are trying to obtain as much information as possible so that we can put together facts and evidence to support a motive and also to identify a person or persons of interest. At this time, I'd like to call up lead investigator, George Casey, to assist with answering the questions that you may have. First of all, I want to thank everyone for being here, uh, being part of this. Hopefully, we'll be able to answer some questions uh, and give y'all some insight uh, of where we're at and kind of what we're dealing with. First off, I want to start off by saying we have got, received a lot of questions that y'all have sent in. Uh, some of these questions, the information that is pertaining to those questions is very sensitive information. We will try to answer, answer them to the best that we can, but there will be information that we need to retain just for the simple fact of it being very sensitive and we, and we don't want our potential persons of, or persons of interest to be able to get a hold of this information. Um, just so that way it does not jeopardize the furtherment of our investigation. <clears throat> as far as some of these questions that were asked, uh, I'm gonna kind of go through a list of them and try to give answers as best as possible to you. Um, one of the first questions that was asked is, can you confirm the Venmo message from the daughter, uh, from mom to daughter was sent to mom's phone? We're still waiting more information that we have requested to confirm or deny where, where the Venmo was sent from, but we can confirm that Amanda did receive the Venmo. She did receive money. Um, that much we do know right now. Uh, continuing on. Our uh, next question was, are you in possession of uh, call your cell phone and where was it found? Yes, we are in possession of that cell phone. We do have it in evidence and it was located at the crime scene. Uh, the next question that was asked was, what was Collier's cause of death? And as Colonel Kogod mentioned, we are still awaiting the full report from the medical examiner's office. You know, that is so huge that they're in possession of Debbie's cell phone because it um, potentially could someone else have made that text message from her cell phone? Therefore, I hope that they've dusted that phone for fingerprints and they've also swabbed it for DNA because that could give them the answer to the perp perpetrators that are involved in this. But some of this information that they're giving us is very helpful, and I'm going to let the, de the detective continue. Once that comes in, we will absolutely update everyone on those findings. Um, what records and data have we analyzed? Due to that being a sensitive, uh, that being sensitive information, much as the disclaimer that I gave um, when I first stepped up here, um, we don't want to reveal any information that could possibly be a potential 
or potentially jeopardize our investigation to where our suspects would get that information. Um, there was a question about Deborah's phone records. We have served multiple search warrants on multiple different cell phone carriers. Um, we are working with them to get all pertinent data uh, from those devices and from those carriers. So hopefully we'll be able to develop more of a timeline, a better timeline. You know, folks, I said earlier on, and he's talking about exactly what I was just saying about these cell phones and the timeline. They should have that already. I mean, this is taking a long, and, and look, it's not their fault. A lot of these carriers, you subpoena them, and they take their sweet-ass time getting this information back to you. However, I says I said earlier, if they had the FBI and GBI on board, they may be, have the big foot to kick these carriers in the ass and force them to get this information back to law enforcement much quicker than three weeks. This is what's dragging the investigation on. And they needed this information, you know, yesterday. And they still don't have it. It's starting to come in in dribs and drabs. And I can't, um, I can't say just how important that is for this investigation. And hopefully be able to find out more information about what exactly happened. Um, inclusion of family members, a question was related to that, <clears throat> is that um, right now we have not ruled anyone out at this point. Um, we have ever-developing leads and are gradually having information that we have requested come in. So we're still in the process of trying to find persons or person of interest. Uh, and as that information starts trickling in, it will actually help us develop it. Uh, more information for y'all to have. We're continuing to investigate uh, Deb's activities from September 10th through the September 11th, uh, which is also going back to the timeline. Uh, we're gradually just getting more information in. We want to know just as much as anyone else does, and we're working, as Colonel Kogod said, we're working diligently. We've lost a lot of sleep as such as such should be um, in this investigation. You know, folks, when when detectives uh, work an investigation like this, a homicide, you really never go home. Uh, you really can't go. You can catch a couple hours sleep here and there, two, three hours, but uh, it, it's, it's exhausting. But you know something? That's what you signed up for, you know? Uh, there's There were times in my career that I just walked around like a zombie because I just never got enough sleep. And when I went home on my days off, one of the two days off was used to catch up on my sleep. And uh, my family didn't like that. So I appreciate what this detective is saying, but we all signed up for it. And um, that's what that's the life of a, a homicide investigator. Investigation. Um, we've devoted a lot of time to this investigation. Um, there was a question about what search warrants have been executed. Um, as far as the search warrants that we have done, again, we cannot give that information out just for the simple fact that it may jeopardize and give the information out to possible potential persons of interest. And we don't want to basically show our hand before we have facts. Um, we, and as Colonel Kogod said, um, then a couple other questions um, that were kind of obtained as far as Deborah's timeline. We have uh, obtained additional footage from, from the parking lot, as he described, where she is in her 2022 Chrysler Pacifica van in the parking lot of the Family Dollar, um, which is obviously joined by other businesses. We've obtained additional footage um, and found that she stayed in that parking lot an additional 10 minutes. From that 10 minutes at 3.19 p.m., she leaves the parking lot and begins to head southbound on Georgia 15, which is the main highway, the four-lane highway that connects Raven County to Habersham. She starts traveling southbound towards Tallulah Falls, which is just inside Habersham County. Um, we are still in the process of trying to obtain videos from other locations and other businesses along that route, and we encourage any business along that route that might have cameras, please reach out to us. Um, look through your video cameras and reach out to us. That way we can ha have a meeting with you and see if we can 
kind of even narrow down our timeline even more. You know, folks, it's amazing that, you know, uh, it, it is so important to do this canvas, the route canvas where Debbie's van traveled. Because you, you hear the detective here speaking about uh, if there's any businesses along that route that have cameras, please reach out to us. Let us know. Uh, but the cameras could catch her van and catch potentially someone or some people following her in another vehicle. And that's what they're hoping on. You have to do a totally thorough investigation. You know, you got to cross your T's, dot your I's. And I know that we say that ad nauseum, but it's so true. And as I said, many places have those license plate readers. And if they do have those license plate readers in this town, that uh, runs thousands and thousands of license plates over the course of hours and minutes. And you could potentially see who was on that road and compare it the players that are potentially involved in this case. Um, and as far as the timeline, the last time we know that she was alive was at 319. Because we see her in that vehicle leaving the parking lot, heading southbound on Georgia 15. Um, there was a question about our thoughts of this being a homicide. We have not changed our thoughts about this being a homicide. Um, we're still treating this as a murder investigation. And you know, folks, is it, I, I know their thoughts are, and uh, the evidence is pointing to the fact that this is a homicide. And I defined homicide before as death caused by another. This looks like a criminal homicide. This, her death was caused by someone else. They don't have the, or we don't have the results of the autopsy. I'm pretty sure the police must know what the cause of death was. They just stated the manner of death. And the manner of death is usually decided by the medical examiner's office. They'll determine this is a homicide, you know, unless the facts on the scene uh, scream out that this is a homicide right away and the police will define it as such. But they're investigating this as a homicide. Again, death caused by another. We will not change that. We will diligently and continuously work day and night trying to solve this case and try to bring justice to Ms. Collier and her family. Um, a lot of the questions we got were kind of... You know, someone just asked a question that... Um, oh, here it is, PB&J. Uh, Bill or Phil, what would be the reason law enforcement left the blue rubber gloves all over the scene? Does that help them? For No, that's sloppy, sloppy crime scene work. They should pick those gloves up off the scene and not leave them in the woods. That's ridiculous. Uh, you know, sometimes you, need, you may need to revisit a crime scene. I don't think the, the way you would spot it is to leave gloves and other filth there from the uh, processing of the scene. Good question, PB&J, but no, there's no reason that law enforcement or the medical examiner's office or the coroner should leave uh, dirty gloves at the scene of a, of a crime. No, there's no reason for that. I repeat, so if I do repeat some of these answers, I do apologize, but I'm trying to go through and trying to hit every question that was given to us. Uh, we're, uh, again, going back to the cell phone providers and search warrants we've done, we're working with multiple different cell phone providers to obtain necessary information. Um, all we know right now, um, as far as the Venmo message, is that, yes, it was sent to Amanda. Uh, there was a question in there as far as... So, guys, you heard that. The, the Venmo was sent to Amanda. I mean, that, that should be pretty self-evident. If you send a Venmo, I don't know if all you guys are familiar with that. To send it to a Venmo, you have to have, have the person's information on your phone or they have to have a Venmo account. To have a Venmo account, you have to have your banking information inserted into the app with Venmo. So this is so easily trackable. So it would have gone from Debbie's phone, time, uh, that it was sent and right to Amanda's phone because her banking information. So they're verifying right now. Yes, it was sent 
from Debbie's phone to Amanda's phone. But does that mean that Debbie sent it? Or did someone have control of her phone and sent that money? But this is so easily trackable. And again, you know, if someone's trying to make this look like a kidnapping, and then afterwards, a text message sent, they they won't let me go. I mean, it sounds very amateurish if it was um, a staged kidnapping uh, and very easy to track the time, place, and all that other stuff. Do we know where the money is now? No, we don't. For the simple fact that we are still obtaining information when it was sent, where it was sent, what device it was sent from. We're still uh, trying to obtain that information right now. Yes, sir. Going back, um, what, going back to what you're saying about the death and why you're confident that this is a homicide, was there any signs of trauma to the body that clearly indicated that this was a homicide? The only thing we know is right now is the burns of the body. We're still waiting for, for the ab absolute full report from the medical examiner's office. Uh, but nonetheless, because of the burns, we're still treating this like a murder. We're trying to investigate it as such, and we won't deter from that just because we're going to treat it like that investigation to get all thorough information. And in the statement, it says um, that this was, you're clear that this was uh, a random act of violence. Generally speaking, if I say something is a random, uh, was uh, a random act of violence, where did the, uh, let me let me stop you right there. Where did that statement come from? So, um, this was not not okay. You know, I'm glad that the detective challenged him on that because it turned out that the reporter said the exactly the reverse what he meant to say that this was not a random act of violence is what I believe the reporter meant to say. My apologies. Okay, what meaning that it was not a? Could you be more specific? Because I don't want the words in your mouth. What does that mean? Does that mean someone knew someone? No, what that means at this point is there is no information. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There is no information or evidence to this point that shows that this was something random, that there was something that was out that was not uh, from somebody that she either knew or somebody who she had uh, some association with. That's what, sh what we're seeing at this time. So based on that information, we do not believe that this is a random act of violence. We do not believe that this is the act of a serial killer. We believe that this act was deliberate and personal. Okay. You had, uh, I saw you right there. Uh, yes, sir. Michael Ruiz from Fox News Digital. I'm just curious if uh, Debbie's purse was recovered at the scene. Yes, it was. Um, we do have that in evidence and it was recovered from the crime scene. See, folks, those are some of the things that uh, I think that I would withhold back um, at a press conference. I don't think that the, the news needed to know that you recovered her, um, her purse. And probably they didn't need to know that um, you recovered her cell phone. Important information as far as surmising some things about this case. However, you, as I said earlier, you need to hold certain things back because it's when the eventuality comes that someone, and I believe, Someone's getting arrested for this. I really do believe that. Um, I think the police are on the right track. It's taking a little longer than we, as the public, and we that enjoy true crime and real crime, we want to see an arrest, uh, that, you know, the, the day after it happens. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, real crime stories. And uh, if you're not subscribed to our channel, go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and ring that bell. Uh, if you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels, and we also have our YouTube family, our channel members, and we have five different levels. If you like true crime, real crime from a police perspective, I'm a 27-year veteran of the NYPD, 16 years in the detective bureau, 10 years in homicide, so I can walk the walk and talk the talk, I do believe. So, you know, I think this press conference, when, when you dissect it, and you look at a lot of the information, I think it, it's, um, they're being very, very transparent. And for my purposes and for my experience, I think that they're almost giving away too much information. But for us, the public, 
It's great. Another purse than the one that was said to be left at her home? That we're not aware of. Um, we're still working on that. But we do know for a fact the video um, that was released where of her being in the family dollar, that purse was found at the crime scene and, and is in evidence. And one, one other question there is, is there anyone in that area that she is acquainted with? Is there a reason she would go up there dressed uh, in her Bulldogs jersey uh, on game day and drive right. an hour? We're still, we're still trying to work with that. Again, like I said, it's, as far as some of the search warrants and some of the follow-ups that we're doing, um, we're trying to obtain that information to see if she has any connections. Um, if anyone, and that's one thing too, I'm glad you asked that. If anyone does have any kind of contact, we encourage the public as well. If, if anyone had contact um, with Deborah Collier during that time frame, as far as from September 9th all the way through September 11th, specifically around the time frame of 319 to Sunday when the body was found, um, if anyone had any contact or might have seen or, or talked to her, please, please, we encourage you to come forward and speak with us. Hey, Mr. Hayek, Payson, Troy Priscilla, and I have yes, again. Um, you mentioned that she headed south on Highway 115. Um, Jordan after, 15, sorry. After yes. leaving the um, Family Dollar Store. Did the school zone cameras in Saluga Falls School pick up yes. her departure? Absolutely. Um, and actually, I'm glad you asked that. I do have something that we're going to make readily available for y'all when we're done with this um, press conference. We do have in our possession, this is an actual photograph from the Tulula Falls school cameras. She was seen traveling northbound on Georgia 15, just north of our crime scene there, just which is just south of Victory Home Lane. This is a picture of her traveling northbound on Georgia 15, traveling through these cameras at 2.17 p.m., on Saturday. Once we're done with this, I will actually leave it, tape it up here on the wall so that way anyone and everyone can come up here and get a better picture of it because I understand it's it's hard to see from here. Um, so once we're done, you can come up and get a better picture. Did you see her coming back southbound? We have not. Um, we have been in coordination with um, Chief Elrod from the Tulula Falls Police Department. She has spent many countless sleepless nights looking through cameras and that being one of the head, most heavily trafficked roads in northeast georgia especially for travel um, towards the north carolina mountains there is probably in the upwards of 150 to 160,000 cars that come through there um, so they are still looking through to see if we can find her coming back south as far as the original report sent out, the van was seen by two little falls officers sitting there on the side of the road around five o'clock Saturday. I believe so. And of course, when you all got there, the van was there on Sunday. Correct. Is it y'all's impression that the van was there that entire time from five o'clock till? Well, obviously, uh, from our timeline, we know it wasn't there the entire time. It was not there. So from, you, well, you home from five p.m. Saturday. No, five p.m. Saturday to eleven-ish, twelve-ish when you guys got there oh, Sunday. Okay. Was it, did it ever leave that location? Now that we're not aware of. Okay. Uh, when you said the five o'clock thing, I didn't know if you were talking about Friday, but oh, as far as the timeline, the only the only times that we can establish as far as that van is there is uh, that we're still getting trickling information. I think there was another question in here, if there was any tips from the community that have helped us out. Yes, because it has helped us narrow down timelines. We're still following up to see if we can actually get uh, confirmation of this van being there at certain times. Um, but as of right now, from what we know, she that that van was there at the crime scene on Sunday is what we can confirm. Now, as far as her time getting back to the crime scene, we cannot confirm that. We're still working on leads and trying to confirm that information. You know, folks, some of the things that he's trying to answer right now um, can be answered by the autopsy. How many hours was she dead? Was her body in rigor mortis? You know, body temperature uh, is not going to tell us that much because a body was outside. The body can get very cold very fast outside. So the, the temperature, for, when a body's inside and the temperature is uh, stable, it's like, well, what we would call room temperature, say 70 degrees. Um, the temperature of the body will fall, but not as fast. But if it's outside and it's cold, the temperature of the body is going to fall very fast. So it's not an, a good indication of time of death. However, there's other scientific ways 
the determined time of death. And one of them is, of course, rigor mortis, uh, looking at the eyes, the color of the eyes. Um, rigor mortis starts at a certain time. You go into rigor mortis, and then the body actually goes out of rigor mortis. But the point being in this, probably it was, uh, if the body was left there overnight, it was cold. So that would preserve the body. There's also going to be animal activity on the body. Uh, I hate to get so graphic, but that happens to be um, that that happens to be the truth. So if the body was le- left out there overnight, they should expect to see some animal activity, and that th- that's some evidence of how long she w- she was dead. All right. So he's not uh, he's obviously not putting out there right now because they don't have the cause of death yet from the autopsy. So if they don't have the cause of death, I don't think they're going to give an, I mean, you can go and ask a medical examiner based on the condition of the body. How long do you think she was dead? And that can give you a good sense of the time of the event of the time of the homicide, the time that she stopped breathing, you know, at the time she stopped living. And that can give you the idea. There's a check mark about drug use. Is uh, was there? Any reason to yeah, I will let Colonel Co. God. I can answer that. So, patrol deputies, when they respond to scenes like this, and they don't know exactly what they have, they normally mark whatever may be applicable. In this case, because it was so questionable and there were so many unknowns when we got to the scene, they marked it as a possibility that it could be drug related. However, at this time, the investigation is not leading us in that direction. Is that another example of why there may not be an obvious trauma, like someone shot, stabbed, or, you know? Could be, but again, it's so preliminary in the investigation that we really can't make that determination. We just do not believe, based on what we have at this time, that this is drug-related. The tip that um, Amanda Bearden was at the Family Dollar, did that come from her? Did it come from somewhere else? And what is the significance of her not being at that location? Um, I'll try to answer that best as well. So the tip as far as her being at the Family Dollar came from an initial interview to where she was talking about her and her mother going to Family Dollar to buy cleaning supplies 
to help clean up her you know, her apartment when she got back to Georgia. Um, as far as the uh, as far as anything, as far as the family dollar visit, I don't think that actually came from her, right? No, it come from it come from a. Yeah, come on. This is Investigator Garrison. He's also one of my team leads. So I pulled the video footage from the store and talked with everybody from the store. Um, based off of that, uh, with Miss Collier, um, she was there from for that time period from 2:54 till 3:10. Got in her car at 3:10 till 3:20. Um, it was asked that if it might have if Amanda was in there earlier. And Amanda, based off of our knowledge at this time, there was some confusion there. And the associate that worked there actually saw the mother and not the daughter. I was able to provide photos to that store clerk to confirm that um, based off of what we were told. And they told, and she said, no, I remember seeing the mother, not the daughter. So guys, there's a, uh clear it up some conspiracy theorists here uh, many people are saying that amanda was inside the store this detective is saying that he questioned in regards to that he also downloaded the video and he interviewed folks in the store and he showed photos of amanda and they said she was never in the store so hopefully that clears that up for most that are um could, could amanda have been close by could she be in, have been in a vehicle outside or a block away? Well, that's what the investigation will tell us, hopefully. Can you speak to whether uh, Amanda Bearden has any acquaintances or friends, family in the area? Um, like the investor, investigator Kaysen said, uh, we can't confirm that right now. Um, I'm sure once we start getting some of these subpoenas and search warrants back on these phone records, We'll be able to give an answer on that at that time. When was the last time Amanda told you all she saw yeah. her mom? And can you confirm or report that uh, Debbie's husband, Steve, was working during the time of Debbie's disappearance? All right. So what we can confirm as far as that question right there is that we know that Amanda talked on the phone with her mother on Saturday afternoon. Um, I, I'll have to look back at my notes uh, from the actual report itself to be able to give you some kind of actual time uh, for it. But the last time she spoke to her mom was on the phone. Um, as far as Steve working, um, we have pulled video from Synovus Bank where he stated that he was working that day because of being a UGA game. He works for a private company called the Optimus Club that private contracts Synovus Bank's parking lot to park vehicles for the game day. They use that parking lot to provide parking for people coming to the game. Um, we have confirmed that he was there from, I'm making sure I get the times nine, right, nine to four from 9 to 4.06, 9 a.m. to 4.06 p.m. on Saturday. I'm Nora Almazon with WCHM. Do you have any reason to believe that she could have met someone there where her van was parked? I'm going to go back to the answer as far as we're not ruling anything out. Um, we're still trying to develop leads. We're still following up on uh, tips and information. We're still awaiting um, information back from search warrants and subpoenas that we have sent off. Once that, and for phone records as well, once that information comes back and we have time to actually analyze and, and go through the details, then we'll have a better answer for that. Investigator Kaysen, I know you said that the state medical examiner's autopsy report has not yet been yes, um, completed, but um, in the report that you all released last week, uh, you stated that Miss Collier's body was found down the ravine and she was grasping a small tree in her hand. What does that indicate? I mean, that's a, that's a lot of different indications. You know, that's uh, that question, you know, that she was grasping the branch of a tree. Um, you know, she could have been shot and she could have grabbed onto it as she was falling down. We don't know the cause of death. So for them to ask, why was she grasping the branch of a tree? That's that's unknown at this time. Uh, we don't know because we don't know the cause of death. And, um, you know, it's funny. Uh, the media wants to know things uh, that there is, there's, there's no, they don't know. As I said, on the NYPD, just that's what I can compare it to because that's the police department I used to work for. Any homicide, the catching detective had to attend the autopsy. 
so the catching detective would know from being live at the autopsy uh, what the cause of death was, if the pathologist could determine it that very day. Sometimes they can't determine it even after autopsy. They have to do further tests, toxicology. We all, I also mentioned numerous times that there's reports that Debbie was found naked or partially naked. What was that all about? You know, was there a sexual assault here? I said early on that whether there was or wasn't, there should be a rape kit completed in regards to this case uh, as part of, of, of the autopsy. Uh, that w- that's just that would be standard procedure. Uh, on the NYPD and with the New York City Medical Examiner's Office, that would be standard procedure. I mean, at this point, we're not sure what it indicates. Could she have been alive? Very possible that she could have been alive at the time she went down the ravine. But again, the autopsy will help us to narrow down time of death, help us to narrow down toxicology reports, uh, help us to narrow down other things related to the body itself that we don't know at this time. So would that indicate if she were alive that she survived being burned? Very possible. Again, very preliminary in nature. Colonel? Yes. As far as the crime scene itself, is that private property? Is it public right-of-way? Is it U.S. Forest Service, National Forest Land? or? I believe it's U.S. Uh, National Forest Land. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Really quickly, Kara Stelter, Living Alive. Yes. In reference to the crime scene, um, it was mentioned that the purse that she had at the store was found there. Were any other items recovered in the poncho shoebox? Oh, yes. So all the items that were purchased as far as from the family dollar that we can tell right now, um, again, we're still going through the investigation, but we can confirm that the majority of those items were found on the crime scene. Uh, you mentioned yes, a minute ago that Amanda had just moved back to Georgia. Where was she and when did she move back? So this is what we can confirm. She lived in Maryland with her brother. She lived in, I think, the same apartment complex, correct, Um, with her brother up in Maryland. CDI, I can't tell tell you what the city is because I don't have my notes and stuff in front of me, but I do know it's Maryland. She moved down here on the 8th, which would have been Thursday, September of September 8th, when she moved down here to Georgia. Um, so we know that she was down here at some point on Thursday. Yes, sir. The, you're clear it's not a kidnapping, despite the fact of that note with the Venmo. Well, is that something that has made things particularly murky? Because that note seems to give the impression something was going on. I'll tell you straight up. Right here, as far as this investigation goes, it seems like once we get on track with something, like a curveball comes in out of nowhere. Um, we're, that's why we're staying diligent and trying to stay on top of things and following up with leads because we want to make sure we get facts, um, specifically to give y'all, uh, we want to make sure that we have all the information before we start pushing forward. You know, folks, someone just asked, uh, Phoebe Beach, it's on the screen. Bill, what about Debbie's sister's 911 call where she said Amanda told her about a felon? Well, about approximately a month ago, Debbie had a vehicle accident with a, a parolee who supposedly some paint fell off his car, hit her car, and he begged her not to report it because part of his um, uh, his his parole or probation or whatever, he wasn't supposed to be driving. Now, that would be easy for the police to, um, to sh- slam the door on that, of him being a suspect. And the way they would do that is to determine where he was on these two days in question. And that would be on September 10th and September 11th. And if he could get a verifiable alibi that put him away from these locations, including potentially if he has a cell phone, which everyone seems to have these days, they could exclude that. Part of homicide investigation and all investigation is not only including things, it's to exclude. So they could exclude him out of that, and I would be uh, pretty sure that the police would would be doing that. Exclude this guy, this parolee, uh, who she had a vehicle accident with. So uh, that good question, though, and that actually was in um, 
that that was published. That was in the New York Post printed that, and they they seem to think it was almost like um, a um, smoking gun type evidence. However, it wasn't. It was uh, something they could easily check out. Fonda Molinesis, um, those items she bought could be things for tailgating football, I think, but she was called to come out there for some reason. Car breakdown, pick me up. Fonda Molinesis, she was directed to that area undoubtedly. She drove there voluntarily. We don't know why. Uh, we don't know why she was in that area, that's for sure. But uh, these are all questions that can be answered uh, through scientific evidence, through uh, cell phone data, through um, uh, questioning people, through alibis, through where someone was at a specific time and place. So not not rocket science, but uh, um, Jane Haiku kind of makes sense having Sirius XM. Uh, well, that's how they found that van. The Sirius XM also had GPS where they could track where the van was. The van was no doubt left there from the afternoon into the next day. So it was there overnight. Did anyone from the police department in that town see the van parked there uh, overnight um, and just make note of it, uh, that that it was there? You know, I don't know if they had any information of that, but uh, that's... Um, that's something that they they could have they could have noticed, folks. If you're in a New York City area and you're looking for a good defense attorney, Joe Murray is a retired NYPD police officer, and he's one of the top defense attorneys in New York City area. You can reach Joe on his cell at 718-514-3855, or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com, and he has a website jmurray-law.com. Joe Murray is an outstanding defense attorney and is also a huge supporter of police off the cuff, real crime stories. Folks, I think that this case, I don't think it's any more difficult than, than most homicide cases, but there's a lot here. There's a lot here. There's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot for, um, there's a lot for an, an investigator to dig into, you know, and, you know, just from what I'm seeing, they're on the right track. I think that it's going to take time. We're spoiled as hell in the society we live in to demand immediate results. And guess what? They're doing the right thing. They're crossing their T's. They're dotting their I's. In my opinion, they're giving out a little bit too much information. But who am I? You know, <laughs> who am I? I'm just a retired NYPD homicide sergeant. I don't make the calls here. Their bosses make the calls. And... um I think they're on the right track. I really sincerely do. And I think that they, they're going to make an arrest in this. And we're going to follow this case. It's a pretty interesting case. Again, there's um, uh, there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, but I think I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to they're get to the bottom of this. Uh, Margaret Lee Reed, after all, do not, no, no, now not necessarily three hours is not long at all. She called mom back. Mom didn't answer. There is no known emergency, technically speaking, only odd, bewildering. What does it mean? You know, these 911 calls and analyzing all of that stuff, you know, there's so much, so much information in this case. And yes, they have to sift through this. Uh, what does the information mean? Uh, Leandra R., I read somewhere a cop had seen the van there the night before they found her. Leandra, I read the same thing. Uh, so the van was probably parked there overnight. So does that narrow, we, does that narrow down her time of death? Um, strange that she was there at all. Like, why was she? You heard them say she had a bad back. She wouldn't normally walk down terrain like that. So. Um, uh, very, very strange. Folks, I want to thank everyone for tuning in at 12.15 on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, you guys are real uh, police off-the-cuff fans. I think you're real, you're real, real, real crime fans. And uh, um, uh, Kara Mason, uh, I love watching your videos because of your insight and intelligence and person's perspective and knowledge. Grateful for your help understanding what I am looking into. Sincerely, thank you so much, Karen Mason. That's, uh, I really take comments that you guys make to heart. And uh, it's 
just as I, when I get bad comments, it hurts my feelings. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, this is a very interesting case. It's, it, it is very interesting. And um, Bob Olson, uh, thank you. Uh, PB and J, daughter and Debbie apparently met for lunch the day before. Hmm. Well, they probably can pull up the video inside wherever they ate lunch and see what they uh, see what their actions were that day. You know, uh, Catherine Mooney, Bill, you're the best. Thank you so much, guys. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna say goodbye now. Uh, I think this is again. This is a really super. Uh, I'll put that on the screen, Catherine Mooney. You you flatter me. Thank you so much. Uh, Phil Phil Grimaldi says an arrest is imminent. We hope. We hope. I think I think uh, you're right. I think there will be an arrest in this. Um, folks, I want to, again, thank you so much for coming by today, 12.15 on a Saturday. We're going to follow this case, and I and I, I really, really, really do believe the police are going to make an arrest. Uh, everyone have a wonderful weekend. God bless, and I'll see you soon. One episode, just